Good evening, and uh, welcome to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. I'm Stefan Ward-Wheaton, executive producer and interim host for this evening here with Sue Timberlake. Hey there. And George Claxton. Good evening. And we have John Roberts, the redoubtable engineer over there on the boards. Hi. <laughs> That's him. Quick reminder uh, for those of you listening, you can find us, um, we're going to do a social media you can find us on Twitter at CivilPoliticsFM, by email CivilPoliticsRadio at gmail.com, and you can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash CivilPoliticsRadio. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight. We'll be bringing you your customary roundup of the week's news and other uh, interesting sundries from the world of uh, politics and current affairs, as we do every Friday here from 7 to 8 on uh, this fair radio station. So, lots to talk about. Sue and George. Um, gee, uh, where I'm do we worn get? out. I'm, I'm worn out. <laughs> You're worn I, I, out. I think we've been worn out for weeks now. <laughs> I think so, yeah. it's um, To think there was once a time when we wondered what we were going to talk about on this show. Now it's it, we're uh, overloaded with I topics, didn't even want to watch CPAC, and I always watch yeah, CPAC. Yeah, Sue, well, Sue, that, that might be actually a good place to start. Uh, start. Um, Sue, you're, do, you're, do you have your Russian flag to wave? <laughs> well, well, and this, this is—you were telling us you saw Russian flags waving there in yes. the. Uh, George did. I didn't see that. In I the milieu, yeah, there, there, you can you can uh, look this up. Go online. They have photographs of people in the crowd at CPAC waving Russian flags mm. during Trump's speech. Yeah, uh, the, uh, a startling change of pace for the Republican Party, I'll say, from previous years and decades. Well, well keep in uh, mind that not everybody at CPAC is necessarily Republican. There are other right-wing groups out there. True, especially now. Those Russian right-wing groups, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, there are lots of those. <laughs> well, you know, they're calling it TPAC now. They said it's no longer CPAC, it's TPAC. Well, they're like two people said that. <laughs> and I thought they meant the Tea Party, and then I realized no. we were talking about Trump. But, yes. But he really has... It's going to be interesting to see because when you look at the basic fundamentals of conservatism, he 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 doesn't believe in a lot of them. Nope. He really doesn't. And no. you know the budget busting infrastructure or you know sort of his approach to some of these things is what, not conservative. What's more interesting for me is that uh, Bannon got up there and basically yeah. admitted that they chose the leaders for the cabinet that they did because they wanted people who would destroy the agencies that they've just been put in charge of. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense, given what we've seen. Um, destruction yep. of the administrative state is what they're calling yes, it. Yes, which means destruction yeah. of the country. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Um, Oops, sorry, just a effect here. Uh, the the uh, From Snopes, the, distri the distribution of the flags turned out to be a prank orchestrated by left-wing activists Jason Charter and Ryan Clayton, who are both associated with the protest group Americans Take Action. A tweet by the Economist Bureau Chief uh, David Rennie showed Clayton, who many attendees apparently mistook for staffer being ejected from the C CPAC floor. <laughs> oh, so that's what I saw. I saw somebody being ejected, but you couldn't see who so, it was. So what okay. you're saying is that the conservatives couldn't tell the difference between a Russian flag and an American flag? Where <laughs> <laughs> they whipped them out after they, they got in. They do look a lot more similar now than they used to. Where there's a, a certain lack of some farm implements on the yeah. current <laughs> Russian flag. Uh, but... It's I mean, it's interesting, and this is kind of a topic we have for this week. Was the uh, you know the uh, 
the Russian connection, if you will. Yes. This ongoing um, issue that we and, have. And the White House's attempt to suppress the information, asking the FBI to come out and refute claims that their people had been in touch with Russian intelligence officials. Yeah, Reince right. did that, Reince Priebus. And he admitted it, too, which is yep. interesting. I was surprised he admitted it. So put, yeah. a ni- put a nice spin on it, though. <laughs> you say, oh, well, no, the FBI came to me and said that the story was inaccurate. And so I asked them to go out and refute the inaccuracy. And the FBI is <laughs> going, yeah, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> Uh, well, and this is another kind of one of these ways in which this administration is sort of um, coming up with alternative facts, well, alternative that, <laughs> reality. Well, that as well, and also just just kind of um, trampling roughshod over a lot of you know uh, across a lot of barriers that would have been considered shibboleths in American politics here to now. I mean, the idea that. Uh, an American presidential administration would would be so entangled with the Russian state, even at, I mean at this early stage, right out the gate. Even as and, much as we know our facts, right? And yeah. given the history the, of of our respective nations, especially, and especially not not w- what I think you know a lot of conservatives might have expected it a, a liberal. A democratic administration, but this is coming from a cons- a putatively, <laughs> putatively conservative yeah, Republican. Conservative, yeah. Exi- well, this is yeah. the the other issue is how conservative really is this administration. And and I um, think at some point, you know, we're all going to have to get together and talk about what does it mean to be conservative. What does it mean to be a liberal? I think the conservatives yeah. are doing that right now, and they are. Um, it's it's interesting. I guess I'll just put it that way. That it's really, I think it's really threaten people to their very core i would agree as to what it means and they're afraid of trump i think a lot of people that would come forward and say hey no they're actually afraid of him well well, keep in mind these are the same people who refused to listen to trump last year right they wouldn't they booed him when he went to cpac the year before and last year didn't he boycott it i forget no well it depends on who you talk to he says that he boycotted it last year Mm. uh there are people at cpac who say that they refused to have him show up and now the guy who's in charge of CPAC is saying well no no it wasn't really like that it was just a timing issue so as you say some of the people there are running scared yeah. now that they have complete control of the government and everything is now their fault um, <laughs> they want to say that they back Trump but just a few months ago a lot of the people there despised him. Oh, they were never Trump. Yeah. People. Yeah. Well, I suspect a lot of, you know, rank and file um, Republican politicians are having to make this this calculation. On the one hand, as George says, um, they Republicans, at least on paper, hold the strongest position that they've had in the federal government since the Reagan. before the Great Depression, even. I mean, in terms not I should say because not just the federal government, state but houses exactly well. the state houses and state legislatures. Oh, I see. Where on you're the going. other yeah. hand, um, they have a leader uh, the, again, a putative leader who is unpredictable and is a bit of a bull in a china shop, and in fact ran on being as exactly He's that. He's a complete loose cannon. So and I imagine, a loaded cannon. <laughs> I imagine, Sue, and Sue, you probably have a better ear to the ground than uh, any of us libs over here. I consider here. it a hostile uh, takeover of the Republican Party. Wow. And, yeah. it's, and they took over. They got all the stock. You know, they bought it up, and 
you know, he owns it. And it's very interesting because I think, I think the party had drifted so far anyway that a lot of people were disenfranchised from I know a lot of people that used to be Republicans that weren't right. before Trump ever evolved on the scene. And I think there's a lot of people that are thinking about being independent and, and what to do next or if there should be another party. And I think those, I think that's sort of the, whereas the Democrats I, I, I thought would shatter, but they actually they seem to be holding together. Oh, yeah. So. As a matter of fact, the people in the progressive wing are getting stronger than ever. I know a lot of people who vote Republican. They claim that they are independents, but they don't want to be associated with the Republican Party. I get a lot of... And pushback from it mm. and these people are they hate gays they think the whole transgender thing is stupid and they basically want to go back to the 1950s but they don't want to be associated with the republican party while they're doing it i'm surprised because i'm thinking more like the people who are independent thinkers who like leave the democratic and the republican party and they just they really don't believe in those sort of hardcore well i i, I for one hate the idea of saying independent thinker because I'm an independent thinker. I'm also a registered Democrat. I'm not, however, as far to the left as say Stefan here. <laughs> you know, in in every party you're going to get gradient gradients mm -hmm. of of where you are. There have always been Democrats who were very far to the right. And you know, one of the things that Right-wingers like to bring up is, well, you know, it was Democrats who were against the Civil Rights Act. Well, yes. During the 19th and early 20th century, the Democratic Party was the Southern Racist Party. It wasn't until the Nixon Southern strategy that the Republicans became the Southern Racist Party. But the fact is that the entire time the people in question were right mm. of center. Right. And, and had been right of center since the Civil War. See, I'm arguing a little different, and that is that we use right and left-wing and progressive and alt-right. And I'm saying that people are m so much more multifaceted than that, that there's a lot of people in the world that just the parties don't work for them. They don't, right. they don't capture it. So you could be like Rand Paul on an issue of libertarianism, but not be anti-choice. You know, it's like sure. the people who don't want to be... Um, hypocritical people who actually have a consistent sort of worldview of, you know, sort of we're all in this together, right. but I don't want big government or whatever it is. Yeah, you but have well, to pick and choose. That, that is exactly what I was saying, though, Susan. You have you have gradients there. It's not you've got this block and this block. What you've got is a line, and some people are going to be more to the extreme left. Some people are going to be more to the extreme right. Well, and the trouble is also, again, uh, yeah, we're I'm sort of seeing this. Yeah, I'm saying there's no axes of parties, that the parties are irrelevant. I wasn't talking about parties. Oh, okay. I wasn't saying anything about parties. Oh, just Democrats and Republicans. You're talking about the, sp the spectrum of overall political I'm talking about the political spectrum. Yeah. And some, you know, you can be to the right of the political spectrum and still think of yourself as a Democrat. Uh, my father, for example, was very right-wing and voted for the Democrats. Well, and also, and I, I know a lot of Democrats who voted for Reagan. Well, and also, I th I think actually, I'm seeing and when I'm when I'm looking at our current sort of um, political state of mind, I'm seeing um, in some ways that 
that this spectrum that you're talking about is getting even more and more wider and multifaceted, and you're seeing the extremes are getting further and to the more extremes polarized, yes. yeah. and more polarized and three dimensional but, rather than right. Yeah. But we don't really have in, and I think this is maybe is part of where we're getting our current you know system electorally in terms of the results we get. We don't really have a political system that reflects that diversity and reflects that kind of. Um, multifaceted and and in some oh, ways right, borderline incoherent we have two part we have essentially two major parties they're built they're made of coalitions for a while you could those coalitions would shift but they were they still made a certain amount of sense and you still had uh, what sue you're talking about you still had these axes i'm not getting the sense i think i think in almost it's almost anyone's game you yeah, if if you have a block that can sort of take a an influential stake in a certain political party, you can move it in your direction, but are how representative is that direction, and to what extent does that be, to what extent does that sort of result in a winning coalition? And especially when I'm looking at how many voters habitually sit out the the Almost political process in the election. Last yeah. time, right? Half it's a, it was I mean, it's incredible. Point something percent. Um, I'm I'm wondering if I think that twenty nine point six. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's. I thought it was half the um, registered voters set out. I th- no. I think in in most states in this last election, at least at the presidential level, the number of people who didn't vote was, if they had if they had all been considered a candidate like a supporting somebody, that block would have been bigger in most states than the number of people who actually voted for either, either major candidate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's remarkable. And, in and, and totally the, uh, the third party candidates, I think it was only like 22 to 2.7% of the American people who voted for a third party candidate. Right. Yeah. I'll have and, to check those give, numbers. Given but. how close the race was, those people could have swung, could have swung it for Hillary Clinton if they had voted for her. In in Massachusetts, they always say that the unenrolled <coughs> independent is larger than either the Democrats or Republicans, and then they argue that a lot of the unenrolled are, are Democrats, or they vote Democrat mm. at yes. the end of the day. And, you know, that, again, is what I was saying yeah. as well. That you have all of these people who refuse to register as Republicans because they don't like the Republicans, but they always vote mm. Republican. So they are, in effect, Republicans. Or they oh, vote. you have that on the left as well. Yeah, yeah, you have that in the left as well. You have people who want to be an independent and they still always vote for the democrats well do you have a, an alternative though that's a, i mean you could vote green if you're on the left or you could vote libertarian or for the what the constitution party yeah. or the conservative party and they're i mean they're very third we have talked about this before and i think both susan and i have said this before that <clears throat> part of the reason that the third party aren't going anywhere is that they're always going for the top spot. They're always running for governor. They're always running for president. Here in Northampton, for example, and that's where we are, for those of you who don't know, um, they're not running for, like, the city council. And let's face it, Northampton is about as leftist a town as you're going to find. But those local races are nonpartisan, so... You did, but they don't but still, they could they could run for it, and you know, if I'm a green, I can say, "Oh, I'm a green, and I served on the city council in Northampton. I became mayor of Northampton. I then became the state senator for Hampshire County. Well, I then became the do, governor. Libertarians do that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they, and they've, they're, they're and a party it, that's been around for a long time. 
But even even the libertarians, although they, they are the most successful party in the sense that they actually have had people in state government and city government and so forth, I don't think any libertarian has ever been elected to, say, a governorship. Mm. William Weld. He uh, actually was a libertarian. Well, yeah, he but jo- he, ran, like Bernie, he, ran, he ran as a Republican. Like Bernie, he joined, you know, he joined the Republican Party, but Bernie joined the Democratic Party, but he was a... For he was viability. A real, for yeah. viability. Yeah. A quick reminder, you're listening to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, Northampton, 103.3 FM. And uh, we have something from genre here, I believe. Uh, as far as I can tell, and I can do a little bit more research if you'd like, but um, the voting eligible population uh, that uh, was 60, 60.2%, that's the total ballots counted. So about 40% um, of the voting eligible uh, public did not vote. Did not vote in the presidential. Wow. But are these people re- actually registered to vote? Or are these simply people who are of age? Uh, registered, eligible, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So they're presumably they're of age. They're they're not felons in states that deny voting rights to felons, uh, et cetera, et cetera. According to this um, to this table, uh, the preferred turnout rates are those calculated with the voting eligible population as the denominator. The voting eligible population represents an estimate of people a person's eligible to vote regardless of voter oh voter registration status, uh, and is yeah. constructed by modifying the voting age population. That uh, makes a big difference. So I'll do some more research now. Yeah. Mm. You know, it was huge. Because so I know I posted something to Facebook the other day, and I think it said something like 29.6% of registered voters didn't vote. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, however, it's a substantial number for yeah. sure. And it always is in the United States. The United States has abysmal voter turnout. And I was making a little different argument. It was that people sometimes don't... Um, choose a party because they they split their ticket they vote for like in massachusetts republican Mm. for governor and then they vote for their congressman a democrat or you know their local person or whatever so it's a it's a funny thing it gives you some options to put a a republican in the governorship which is i've always wondered about that why why that role and not some of the other roles not the rep or the i think really that the current governor made it in because people hated martha coakley I think if we had any other Democrat running, the Democrat would have won. Well, Romney won here, and Weld, and, and it was the same thing. And I can't you, think you of the had fellow from when Romney won, when Romney won. It was a there were two Democrats running, like for Shannon the O'Brien and. And oh, I forget. Are you, are you talking about the primary or the general? I think the general election. There, there were two people exactly. who were running on the Democratic side, and Romney basically took the plurality of the votes. Mm. which is really all you need, right. at least in this state. There are some states where you have to actually win 50% plus one vote. Well, that's <coughs> a runoff. Oh, yeah, like Louisiana or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but, but not here. And I think that as long as the Democrats keep squabbling with each other here, yeah, Republicans are going to be able to win that. But in the local areas, what you were talking about, the chances of a Republican ever being elected to the state Senate or to the Assembly you from Northampton... You have one in East Hampton. He's yeah. a Republican. Yes, but East Hampton isn't Northampton. Good point. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I yeah, won't say anything an disparaging. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. 
Well, Are you saying something's wrong with East Hampton? <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying they're different. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're very different. You know, Westfield and Springfield and, you know, where the air bases are and all that stuff, really. Yes, Chicopee, right. Chicopee has, I think, a Republican assemblyman. And from that area, I think there's also a Republican state senator. Yeah. But there's still not many. If you take a look at the state legislature overall, it's overwhelmingly Democratic. The entire congressional uh, representation from Massachusetts, every single one is a Democrat. And I'd make the argument, this is not probably a good argument, but that it has been so corrupt that most people to get anywhere in Massachusetts have switched their registration to Democratic. Mm. registration and that's i'm just saying historically and i can't prove that that's just sort of the well there there it depends upon the corruption you're looking for yes there's a lot of corruption that goes on in in boston in particular the in fact the whole setup of government in boston is about as corrupt as you're going to find (laughs) the whole idea for example that we have a state uh district court system and then we have the boston municipal court which serves exactly the same function and they tried to so get they could control it. Yeah, well, it's because it's bakshish. You have people <laughs> in in Boston who got their job by knowing a guy who knows a guy. Menino was famous for that. And <coughs> they don't want to get rid of it. It's a sinecure. But it's old. I mean, part of it is an old city. You know, when you oh, get right. to a place where they don't have the oh, long yeah. history Re- of... Remember Tammany Hall? <laughs> in New York. Well, and in this New York, is also... Yeah. It's all about corruption. Yeah. And, well, when you have a de facto one-party state at a certain level of government, there's not the same risk there that you would have in a more competitive system where if, if widespread corruption yeah. was found, they might risk losing it to the opponent party. I mean, I don't think... Um, you know sue unless you guys are sitting on some secret you know game plan i just don't get the sense that republicans <laughs> I keep are strong one will emerge <laughs> may, maybe but I, I i at a certain point you lose and this is something that democrats are facing in a lot of the south for example you lose a certain infrastructural ability to capitalize on the weakness of your opponent if you've been out of power for long enough you don't have a bench of candidates you don't have that kind of um organization at the county level and at the level nobody's of, tipping you off to hey look over here because well right yeah. and 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 the ability to mobilize the troops you know and mo- mobilize your voters to actually get the vote out i mean it, it's like a muscle yeah you have to exercise it or it atrophies well so. also that br- that brings us to number two on tonight's list <laughs> georgia on everybody's mind uh, uh-huh. because tom price just became a member of the cabinet his seat is now open and so there is a uh, race in um in georgia to fill the seat and the democrats think that they might actually have a chance at this oh yeah this is because so many people hate trump this is the congressional race it's a it's a suburban district north of atlanta um near al um uh Alpharetta, I think, is the is it's 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 a suburban uh, district, but it, I think it, it went for Trump by a very small margin, something like a, a point, like one percentage point. Um, so it's an off year election. It, People are motivated. You might. It, you might it, just, yes. you know. It's a possibility. I I can this year in this climate, I can see it being a much better pickup opportunity for Democrats than they've had. But the Georgia suburbs have been were. And for a long time, bright red, 
Um, that's that's been changing. Yeah, recently. not Atlanta, but the city's right. The city's yeah, and towns right next exa- to it. Exactly. Um, that has been changing in part because the African American population has been moving out of the urban core of Atlanta, and also has been exp- there's been um, a net migration back to the south for a lot of African Americans who are moving out. You know, the the reverse of the old Great Migration in the 30s and 40s. Well, that's interesting. Um, and they're actually well, because there's, there's a lot less lynching now, which well, yeah. makes it easier. To well, and Atlanta is a very strong economically. It's it's a very strong it's a great area. City to live in. Um, there's a lot more prospects in the south than there used to I, be. I wouldn't go quite that far. <laughs> Having just been in Atlanta a few months ago. Well, and Hillary Clinton did pretty well in Georgia, too. She got something like 45%. I mean, she got within, I think, Striking five points or so, which for a southern for state, a southern state yes. is pretty good. Um, you know, I don't. Admittedly, I think Trump maybe has a little less pull with Southern evangelical voters than somebody like. Actually, uh, the evangelicals went for Trump in a big way. Yeah, mm. and explain that, which is strange. Yeah, right. we've talked about this before. Yeah. You know, Trump being the guy that owns casinos, who's been multiple times divorced, who has cheated on yeah. at least two of his three wives. I don't know if he's currently cheating on Melania, uh, but he's got big hands, big big hands. Oh jeez. So, um, so how did he win? Because we were just talking about the fact that you need a muscle, you need to exercise it, and you need to mm. have a, a, a group working for you and all that. And yet he had none of that. The Republicans worked actively against him at probably every turn, all the other 16 candidates. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, people keep saying, well, the Democrats read this completely wrong. Well, the Republicans did, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm. Jeb Bush was supposed to be their guy. He was supposed to be coronated here. I don't think he got ever more than 7% of the vote yeah. in any of the races he was in. Uh, and, you know, you had, what, 17 total on the Republican side? I 17 think it was people. 17 at some point. And these were 17 serious candidates. We're not talking about, like, the joke candidates running on the Democratic side where they never got any votes. We're talking about people. Um, who's that guy from Texas? Cruz. Um, Perry. Well, there was Ted Perry, Cruz. but there was also Cruz, Ted Cruz. Oh yeah. And you know, these people were surging at various points. Oh, and, and he had a huge. He had the Koch brothers and everybody behind yeah. him, and they had and he still numbers. lost. Yeah, and he lost big, and they spent a there, lot of money. So there, why did Trump win? That's there were a lot of people who simply hate government, and. They really wanted to see government destroyed, and and you had Mm -hmm. Trump saying, I will destroy government. Well, and Trump was also willing to go that extra mile rhetorically that I, that this is, and I mean, I'm speaking with a jaundiced eye coming from (laughs) the left, so Sue, you you may disagree, but when I look at how Republican major party national candidates have run, there's always this delicate balance, a tightrope they have to walk between the sort of more solidly... Um, small C conservative business interests who don't want to rock the boat and the kind of the the activist wing of the party that does want to rock the boat in a big way. And you have to kind of where Trump, I don't think he felt beholden to the party elite at all. So he he was free to, well, some say pander, some say, you know, just campaign. But he was free to engage that activist kind of, I think, grassroots right wing base in a way that um, other more establishment candidates just weren't even Ted Cruz couldn't do even though he positioned himself if if I could add though I think a big part of it was Obergefell 
I think that particularly in the South and the Midwest and parts of the West, but Trump said were that they could use who, any bathroom they wanted to. Well, and look, look at one of the first things his administration I know, did. No, but right in the middle of the heat of that, he said, "Yeah, if they and, come to and Trump Tower, I don't think anybody there believed him because of the rest of the stuff that he had been saying all the way along." And the the people in the South and the Midwest and parts of the West hated Obergefell. They hate the very idea that gay people are allowed to marry, that gay people have the same rights as they do, or as they say, special rights. And I think this was a big problem for them, and so they turned out in force, particularly for the evangelicals, who hated the very concept and turned out in force. Yeah, it's... And yet it, Trump's friends with Giuliani, who likes to cross-dress and have been uh, in commercials together. And I mean, they're all cultural whoa, challenging whoa, whoa, things. Whoa, 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 let's back up here. Have you seen Giuliani cross-dressing? Yeah. Yeah, no, there were commercials that were made for New York City, and the, and it's very funny. And he was cross-dressing in them? Yeah. yeah, and it's... it's there, is a, there are pictures yeah, out there of yeah. him. Yeah, and, and they, uh, they had lots of fun together. and. All sorts of things. So I think John Rich just found it. <laughs> I think John Rich just, maybe those will, I, I don't know if those will go up in the face. Well, but we'll I'm, keep I'm in kind mind, of too, that there, there's a difference between an actual cross-dresser and somebody who's doing it to get laughs. As a costume. I, you know, it, it's, it, yes, you know, Monty, it's a Monty Python, you all frequently had cross-dressing on Monty Python, but... Oh goodness! Oh, <laughs> my eyes, my eyes! I don't know. Maybe this is a good a good this time to end the segment. Stop. Yes, <laughs> we have some. Uh, we we need to play some announcements and uh, other things to keep the FCC happy. We'll be back in a couple minutes. You're listening to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. Thanks for tuning in. But we'll Trump be- kisses Giuliani in one of those commercials. Yeah, okay. and you don't seriously believe that anyone out in America thinks that Trump is gay, do you? No, but I think that the cultural challenge is there mm. for him. All right, no, well, I think I think that they were playing it for a joke, and I think that's how his his uh, supporters saw it. We'll have to explore this in the next segment. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple minutes. The Pacifica Radio Archive celebrates Black History Month by honoring the voices of a revolution. From the Montgomery bus boycott to the Black Power Movement to the fight for reparations, Pacifica was there. The Breakfast Program is the uh, one stable program that the Black Panther Party has for the black community. If there's a uh, functional link between the people and the People's Party, the Black Panther Party, then whenever the pigs decide to slide on in and move on the party and move on the breakfast program, people will say, hey, um, I don't understand all that uh, rhetoric, uh, that uh, socialism and communism those Panthers are talking about, but you keep your hands off that breakfast program because they're feeding my kids in the morning. The Black Panther Party Breakfast Program Coordinator for Southern California, Jimmy Johnson, from 1970 on Pacifica Radio. The airwaves of Pacifica Radio stations included some of the most important African-American thinkers, artists, poets, writers, speakers, and activists of the 20th century. To find out more, visit our website at pacificaradioarchives.org. Classical music on Valley Free Radio. Tune in to Andy Musique Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. for an hour of beautiful music to start your day. Hosted by Lucy and Larry. Have you always loved to read but find it hard to do these days? Forbes Library offers a variety of alternatives to keep you reading long into the night. A large selection of large print books, audiobooks, and easy to use ebooks and e audiobooks are available to borrow. 
you will find bestsellers, classics, and nonfiction offerings. Forbes Library is now affiliated with the National Library Service to provide audiobooks, magazines, and even the daily news for people with vision loss, difficulty holding traditional book or newspaper formats, and for people with certain learning disabilities. Our staff is happy to help you find just the book in just the right format. Call 413-587-1013 to find out more. Nerd Night NoHo is proud to support Valley Free Radio, where a monthly speaker series featuring experts from the community talking about art, culture, and science. You can find us at noho.nerdnight.com. Hi, my name's Leo, and I use he, him, his pronouns. Hi, my name's AJ, and I use they, them, theirs pronouns. Did you know that sex is your biology and gender is how you identify? You can't assume someone's gender. Based on their clothes. Based on their hair. Based on their voice. Who they hang out with. Who they're attracted to. My gender isn't your business. Ask me my pronouns! Brought to you by the PVPA Student Group for Gender, Sexuality, and Diversity. Sundays at 10 a.m., WXOJ's radio show, Occupy the Airwaves, has the latest news from the occupation movement, locally, regionally, nationally, and around the planet. Tune in at 103.3 FM or webcasting at www.valleyfreeradio.org. Blogging at occupytheairwaves.wordpress.com. Listeners can call into the show at 413-585-1033. And we're back with Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. Wait a minute. You're not Stefan. Uh, afraid not. Uh, Stefan yeah. had to step out. St- well, <laughs> he didn't, but he did. Uh, he was kind enough to do so. I I was running late, and I'm glad he was uh, Mike had an epic body blow. Just tackled him off the mic. <laughs> he was insane. I, Good thing the mics were off, because they would have heard that at home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then he yelled out, "Get the table!" I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> well, WWE it's a good thing that yeah, we don't have steel chairs in here. WWE yeah. here at Valley Free Radio. <laughs> well, you know, uh, <laughs> Stefan and I do have a steel cage match every so often <laughs> to sort of settle some of our differences. So, yeah. you know, uh, on yeah. Sunday, 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 <laughs> Stefan works out because you have a height on him. I think, don't you? A little bit of height. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely a little, a little bit of hype. Um, and, and the problem is, Stefan keeps breaking kayfabe, and it's just not, it's just not cool. Um, and those of you who don't understand, anything I was about, just going to say, can I admit I have no idea what you're talking about? <laughs> I only know about that because of a role playing game I played where you play pro wrestlers oh, and, okay. and so forth. I am um, too young and innocent to know about any of this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll be happy to explain all that to you later because it's not actually important. Oh. <laughs> um, Meanwhile, back at the show. Yeah. Show? Oh, yes, right. So back here at the show, I should mention, uh, because it's always worth repeating, that you can email us, which is civilpoliticsradio at valleyfreeradio.org. Or on Facebook, we are facebook.com slash civilpoliticsradio. And we have a website, which is civilpoliticsradio.com, where you can listen to recordings of the show and so forth. Uh, and we also are on Twitter, and it's at Civil Politics FM there. And uh, we had a uh, one of our listeners, uh, what was it, Snyder X? I'm sorry, I forget. Nathan it was, Snyder. 
Yes. This that was is it. a question from Nathan Snyder at SnyderXC, and he says, first, shout out from PA. Second, curious to hear everyone's take on Stream Protection Act repeal. Oh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, yes. Yeah, not physician's assistant. That, that or he went to my old prep school, Phillips Academy. You spent way too much time in the hospital. Probably he's from a, a state, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, first off. And uh, second, I, I, I think I can speak for everyone when we say that we are somewhat dubious about the logic of making it easier to dump toxic uh, leavings from coal mining into water supplies. Or making it legal. Tailings. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes, uh, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> I don't. I, like, what you you don't want to dump toxic waste into our waterways? I I would rather not. And I honestly I think like Appalachia has some feelings about this too. Yeah, uh, as far I as think I can you're tell, you're a little leftist there, Mike. I am. As far as I can tell, there's no particular benefit to anybody except uh, people who operate coal mines. Yeah, rejuvenating which, the industry which makes it cheaper for them. They're, they're yeah. also reducing a lot of the other regulations yeah. on coal mines because apparently they cannot remember all of the deaths that occurred recently because of people violating those regulations. Yes. Yeah. So sorry. So, so I was going to say that what they're doing is just creating externalities so that the costs fall on the people instead of the company. Right. And that's a strategy to 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 rev up industry and to rev up and well, it's 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 government interference in the functioning of the market, um, in in its own way. I mean, arguably, you know, you can say that about any regulation. It's like, well, the regulation is, you know, you're applying a cost or forbidding them from doing something, yeah. and it's like, and that's true, but. Um, when you're you, letting them externalize this, right? One. When you yeah. let them externalize it, you are also manipulating uh, the market, yeah. or, you're, or the market is are arguably failing to operate. So at the same so. time, you get rid of that reg. You need to get rid of the one that says you can't sue the mining company for ruining your drinking water. Oh, sure. I'm sure that's <laughs> next. at very yeah. least. Yeah, and they are dismantling some of the the new um, water standards. I don't know if you saw some of the Gina McCarthy testimony, but they had just no, expanded what they can protect for waterways, and it was going to affect farming and all kinds of folks that dump things on the ground that end up in the local waterways yeah and i assume that's next for the trump guys they haven't oh, dismantled probably. it yet but Pr it's it. sitting right there well given that uh scott pruitt is heading the epa and, and that he's famously antagonistic to and deeply, just deeply in the pockets of the fossil fuel industry in fact right. they had a company that he was working with as attorney general right because the emails yeah, just got published it's called devon energy after yeah. after his um, confirmation yes, the judge held that, them. The judge held ordered it released, and so the Republicans in, uh, controlling the Senate made sure that he got voted on before then. So I think this, in a way, is more embarrassing for them. I mean, now they don't actually have to sort of say, how can you vote for this knowing this? But, you know, it, it's, it's obvious, you know, skullduggery. For those of you who weren't following the yeah. progress of this, what came to light uh, on Wednesday— is that Pruitt would frequently, um, when he was suing the EPA... As would, Attorney General of Oklahoma. As Attorney General of Oklahoma, would talk first to the energy companies there to get their input. If he sent a complaint letter to the EPA, the energy companies would write it. He would edit it a little bit and send it in. And they and they explicitly would say, you know, this will seem like a more persuasive argument coming from you than from us. Yes. But he was, you know, he, he was he was open about how he was carrying their water for them. I mean, obviously it was toxic pollution <laughs> water, but he was still carrying it. I think yeah, he should he, carry it to his own home. Yeah. He, he, and he was receiving 
campaign contributions from these companies and he was giving speeches to these companies and receiving monies from them yeah i had a professor in grad school and uh, he knew some of the russian folks that work on water clean water in russia uh -huh. and he told us the greatest story about how they keep their water clean the guy's house who runs the dpw is down river from the plant mm. <laughs> so if he says dump that in the river his his water's effect i thought now that's a good internal incentive to to do it yeah and, you know so you kill yourself and your children so but that's what you want to do is put people put an incentive in there that they they so pay the ultimate price so if we made the governor of michigan like your Flint, kids much yes, that would help that's exactly <laughs> what you do and that by the way brings us to another thing there was a commission that just released a report on flint on the legionella outbreak there uh well no this is a different one this is on the lead Oh, uh, oh, okay. Because yes, because there was also it recently came out that yeah. in fact uh, the 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 outbreak of uh, Legionnaires' disease that killed a number of people in Flint came uh, from the water. Definitely seems came to have come from the water. They were trying yeah. to argue that it was isolated in a hospital, that it was a problem with the hospital's water supply, cooling towers that somehow got in the faucets. Right, which I mean, because <laughs> well, because the thing is, like the the, the reason. We call Legionnaires' disease Legionnaires' disease is because there was an outbreak at an uh, American Legion convention in, I think, 1979. You know, my And it was in the air conditioning. So, you know, like a contamination yes, at a site it, can it, it infect It killed a people. bunch of people there. Yeah, but, it can infect but, people. But my in this case, um, we have a commission that released a report saying that uh, racism was a major part of what happened to the sure. Flint water supply. They're not saying that they specifically went out to poison black children, but they're saying that this would not and could not have happened in a white community. Huh. And that it's it was the way that the black it? community was being treated that led to the conditions that of lead poisoning for yeah. the people of Flint. Well, I was just going to say that seems like it would be kind of hard to proof but i i started to say before on the legionnaires that my friend sent me scrubs yeah. from uh, <laughs> that whole episode yeah. uh, she's like here you go these are from you know the the hotel you know we when we went in and checked out what was going on with legionnaires so oh, yeah. Yeah. i don't still have them but well i wore them in good in uh, actually it's, it's not that difficult to prove by going through the process of the decision making you can you can reach that conclusion with a fair degree of accuracy. Well, also, and this is something we have talked about in, uh, on this show in the past, um, part of what makes racism a, a, a sort of a, a problem in our society a is systemic that, problem. A systemic problem systemic. is that it is uh, it, it's it's about how we operate systemically. It's not just about someone who has particular animus towards some group, whatever it may be. It's how that sort of gets baked into the cake. Uh, of how we operate as a society, and it can be hidden. So, um, you know, you have historically black neighborhoods because, you know, they weren't, a pe you know, people of color weren't able to buy homes elsewhere because of government policies, <clears throat> some of which were instituted for, ex by, for, by explicit, for explicitly bigoted ends, but others weren't. But that, do that doesn't matter, you know? I mean, like, like, you know, like one of the functions of the creation of the interstate highway system uh, was the rise of suburbs. And one of the reasons you had the rise of suburbs was in part people wanted to move away from, white people wanted to move away from black people. And that was not the goal of the interstate highway system. I, you know, Eisenhower didn't say, let's enable white flight. He was thinking about, let's make it so that we can improve commerce and make it easier to move uh, military forces around the country if we ever need to. That made sense. 
But one of the consequences of it, one of the effects of it, was uh, this sort of this spatial segregation, this spl- uh, sp- uh, spreading out and cha- and changing of of uh, how we were s- uh, mingled together demographically. An interesting thing in the last week, it was uh, an anniversary of the uh, of the of the rule that sent Japanese to internment camps. And yeah, which is one, still technically on the books. Yeah, and one of the things that happened, as 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 a strange aside, is that while the Japanese were in the internment camps and their neighborhoods had been basically emptied out, blacks moving up from the south to take jobs in war industries in the Los Angeles area moved into what was known as Little Tokyo. And it became known, I think, as Little Africa for a while. But when the Japanese were released, some of them went back to the neighborhoods. And for a while, it was a mixed neighborhood. But the black people were being pushed out eventually. And because even in Los Angeles, there was a certain degree of redlining, they were then forced into other little communities. So you got things like East Los Angeles, which has now been taken over by the Hispanics moving in, Inglewood and other places, and Watts, where blacks were concentrated because they weren't allowed to buy homes in Bel Air or West Los Angeles. Right. In L.A., did it happen like Boston, where each new wave of immigrants took over the same neighborhoods in Brighton and Alston? You know, like in Brighton and Alston, you see, well, first it was, you know, the Italians, and then it was the Irish, and now it's the Vietnamese. And it was the Eastern Europeans now, yeah. Not quite the, the same way, but, and the West but End it, it was, it was a similar sort of thing, immigrants. which is strange given that the city of Los Angeles, or Pueblo de Los Angeles, was originally founded by blacks and Indians. Well, you know, you could talk about that, or you could gloss it over. and, <laughs> and Which, and which happened it. for a very long time. Yeah. So, by the way, this is civil politics here on Valley Free Radio. Thanks for listening. Um, so my question is always sort of... Um, sort of why do these things happen? Not just the factoids, but sort of the the insight into how how we got there and what it means. I guess you know we were talking earlier about the mission of the show and sort of how to how to sort through things, but and what to expect from it. I mean, have, it's sort have, of. Have you ever heard of the phrase "beyond the pale"? Yes, but I don't know what it means. Beyond the pale is where the Jews lived, in I think it was Moscow. Um, the pale is a river. Oh, okay. And the ghetto was beyond the pale. Other side of the tracks. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, th- throughout history, we've I, we've had. I thought it was in somewhere in in Central Europe, but it might be Moscow. I can't yeah. remember. But throughout history, we've had places where groups who were considered socially unacceptable were corralled. Yeah. And you had the Jewish ghettos. You had. You know, we talk about black people living in ghettos, but yes. I mean, as opposed the to the word like, is actually from the Jewish. Well, and, yeah. and they were actually like specifically like walled neighborhoods, districts where people were forced to live, and could be literally gated up and yeah. sort of confined in there. Oh, and, and for which made it much easier <laughs> to creek to, to have violent massacres. And, and for blacks, you yeah. often got villages outside of towns. Uh, Rosewood, Florida, was one such village. And it made it easier when the Klan decided to kill everybody and burn down the place to go in there and do that because they were concentrated in one place. Well, and if you're trying to create a uh, sense that there are some people who are less than others, um, 
People do that constantly. It's actually sort of frightening how frequently civilizations find someone to denigrate. I I agree. Like almost constantly. I agree. Although I'm not Uh, a historian. Sadly, it seems to be a very human activity. Um, And even if you're all the same, men do it to women. Well, Well, but it's also important to like split people up so that it's easier to like sort of go, well, I don't really know any uh, insert group here, you know. But I understand they are blah, you know. I mean, I was fascinated to see how uh, stereotypes about Jews survived in England in, say, the 16th century when all the Jews were expelled from England in the 14th century. I mean, you know, like, like there are literally no Jewish people around, you know. And they're still talking about On your about island. It. And it's still this thing. You, you guys still have this, this pervasive anti-Semitism, you know. It's like, Do you think Trump, um, you know, this whole piece this week about anti-Semitism and not, it, it's like they haven't, they, they couldn't get the Trump administration to sort of stop saying things about keeping, you know, people from certain countries out of this country. But there were like seven um, cemeteries that were vandalized and the, and the Jewish community sort of stood up and they demanded that Trump, you know, speak to it. And he finally did, I think, yeah, this past yeah, week. Af- after some uh, yeah. Jewish cemetery in uh, Missouri was vandalized. Yeah. Uh, uh, my understanding is by the local Muslim community took up a collection to help. Uh, they did. Pay for National, repairing. actually, not yeah. just local. Yeah. All right. uh, the national Muslim community took up and raised enough money to do repairs. Hundreds of tombstones were overturned. And, you know, part of this is earlier this year during Holocaust Memorial Day, the White House released a statement on on Holocaust Memorial that right? didn't mention Jews. Yeah. Yeah. We we also have Which what people call what people call person. the alt right. Which let's face it, alt right is Nazi, and um, and the people. I think we need to fact check that. <laughs> I I th- I think that's oversimplifying the people who call themselves alt-right, the, 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 the group, they're not all Nazis, like not all of them. Well, I mean, Milo okay, Yiannopoulos... fascists. Well, sure, Milo Yiannopoulos, for example, was is, is definitely an important or certainly a noteworthy figure in the alt-right, and he's gay, you know, and if he well, was... Well, I would point out Eric Roem was gay as well. Sure. And, and he was and, a Nazi. And, 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 and Sue, you were about to mention something about how the Nazis love gay people, right? Well, I was, <laughs> I was just saying that it was nice for once to hear people argue about all the people that were hurt by the Holocaust because there were lots of well, yes. Folks. And I would point out that when Obama was in office, he mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. He, he said Jews, but also mentioned the fact that socialists yeah. and intellectuals. Disabled and, folks. And yeah. gypsies and gay people and yeah. disabled people the, and all of these other and groups the, of the were state. killed. <laughs> the, prob- the first people killed in the Holocaust, as a matter of fact, were the Rhineland blacks. Yeah. The problem with Trump's statement wasn't that, wasn't that he said, like, wasn't that it was inclusive or broadly applicable to all the people. It was was that he didn't talk about specifically what, you know, what was motivating it. I mean, you know, like like pervasive anti-Semitism was central to making the Holocaust happen. You know, like it wasn't like a like half a dozen guys decided they wanted to kill all the Jews and everybody just sort of shrugged and said, yeah, well, whatevs. You know, it was a lot of people Anyone were like... who was oh, an Aryan. Right. They were okay with it because they didn't like Jews and they thought it was all right to do. And then... 
it went from there. So, um, well, no, George just said the first people that were killed were actually blacks. Yeah, and amazing how uh, it's 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 amazing how like the racist Nazis were also like anti-black. Who'd have guessed? Yes, if if you read. Oh, I've just forgotten the name of the book. Hitler's book, Mein Hitler's Kampf. <laughs> oh. Yes. Um, if you camp? read Mein Kampf, one of the things that Hitler discusses quite specifically is his hatred of the Rheinland Schwarze uh, and how they are an insult to all Aryan peoples. For those of you who don't know, after the First World War, um, or during the First World War, the French brought in a number of troops from their African colonies. Those troops fought in the European theater uh, during the war, and some of them were left around after the war to as guards in were they sort Germany. Of recruits that they'd been recruited? No, they weren't recruited. They were, were drafted. They? Oh, yeah. they were in. Sl- yeah. They were they were yeah. forcibly drafted, yeah. and they were brought over. And these people met local girls. They fell in love. They had kids, and it it's a fascinating story. And you can read about it. There are several books out there. About and a it. tragic one. <laughs> and a tragic story. Yeah, yeah. on multiple levels. But, um, but yeah, you'll find that fascism tends to set up more than one group that they hate. They pick yeah. on the weak. And, yeah. Or the people who just have fewer numbers. Well, there was, um, and, uh, you know, there was the... the, the Oh, we have to end in a minute. But, uh, so, like, <laughs> oh my goodness! Like the the there was a shooting in Kansas a couple yes. of days ago. Uh, uh, some some white dude I don't remember his name, but basically he was screaming about wanting his country back and so forth. Shot some some men from India who he think, thought were he thought they were Muslims or something. Yes, he yeah. thought they were fr- they were Middle Easterners. What? When he was captured in Missouri, he was telling the bar owner that he needed a place to hide out because he had shot Middle Easterners. Right. So but did you see the WGBY coverage? They showed the white guy, the hero that that tackled the guy. They weren't well, talking about the Indian guys that were killed or shot. Or I didn't see the coverage. Well, yeah. I'm 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 <laughs> glad they took a moment to acknowledge the guy who caught him. That's yeah. that's perfectly fine. He got fine. shot in the process, but but um, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting I, coverage. See, this this to me was <laughs> something that I, I particularly noted because um, uh, the family that lived across the street from mine for many years in Andover. Uh, the Bakshis, uh, by the way, if any of you are listening, hi. <laughs> um, uh, th- you know, like Mr. Bakshi, as you might guess from the name, was from India. And like like he actually, when he first came to the U.S., was in Kansas, uh, go, I think, going to school there. I may be misremembering, Buck. I hope I'm not getting your story wrong. But like, and, and his daughter was, you know, talking about this on Facebook. And I, th- I, I th- she gave me permission. We'll put it up yeah. on the on the civil politics page. Yeah. Just like she had this whole reflection on like what that meant and like how she's encountered all this racism uh, in her life, you know, from the, all of this. So anyway, it's it's the it's the it, not acknowledging uh, what's going on, making it's making it invisible. That is the real problem. And I, I guess I'm sorry, I'm getting the, the high sign. So we do need to sort of wrap up there. <laughs> yeah, we have somebody. Yes. coming in <laughs> subculture is just coming up in just a couple of minutes so we need to wrap up here with uh, civil politics tonight uh, thank you all for listening here to us on Valley Free Radio uh, we'll be back with more civil politics next week hope you'll join us then good night